episode 61 of Strange Brow Radio. I am again your host, Tobe Johnson, and today, inevitably, we're talking about what's in the news regarding the pandemic and preparations of such. I'm in Washington State. I guess it was ground zero as far as the U.S. is concerned for newsworthy content devoted to COVID-19. So we're going to uh, have a special guest with us talking about uh, what they think about this virus and what you can do to prepare. First, thanks again to Manresa Castle in Port Townsend, Washington. Check out Manresa Castle. It's a certified haunted castle. Go check it out. Go online. You can see the Ghost Adventures episode film there. ManresaCastle.com or the Castle NPT, which stands for Port Townsend. You can find that on Facebook. I'm going to have some news about the castle in particular, so don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Okay, before I talk about our guest today, let's talk about the Castle NPT. Firstly, this episode is coming out a whole day and a half early based upon the fact that usually every other month we meet in Port Townsend, this particular case from 6 to 9, and we do our live show. But the reason I'm putting this out early is because there's been a change of plans, and it has to do with this episode and what's happening here with this virus outbreak. Now, I don't know where you are listening to this. No clue as to how you're approaching something I guess as deadly as COVID-19, but in Washington state, it has everybody on eggshells. And since we're in a state of emergency, there's certain things that we're canceling and rescheduling, including podcasts alive. So here's the deal is we're doing a live virtual episode and that is going to be available for everybody if I can get this episode up in time uh, today, which would be March 7th, 2020. And it, you can go on to the Facebook page, Strange Brow Radio, and find the link available through the events tab at the Strange Brow Radio Facebook page. And if you want to be a part of the show, you still can. Now, there's limited seating in this virtual platform and I believe that's limited to 100 people. So you can call in, you can video chat in, and the way you do it is you're going to download Zoom.com, which is basically Skype on steroids, and there we can do a virtual presentation. Now, our original guest uh, was rescheduled for May, and that left me with the presentation, which I'm more than happy to do a presentation myself, and... We just can't do it at the castle this month due to the contagion, which feels so weird talking about this. It sounds like the premise of a sci-fi movie, I realize. But uh, this is where we are, and um, rather than spread viruses, catch viruses, this is, what, this is what's happening. So a virtual conference, go on the Strange Brow Radio Facebook page. There you'll find uh, information, or you can look up my name, Tobe Johnson. I uh, have a public profile also on Facebook page, and there's a link available. 
So those in the know that uh, uh, are already caught up on the events tab know what's happening. They'll find the link and there we will be. But perchance if you caught this episode and are headed to Manresa Castle to go watch this live, that won't be occurring. It will be live virtually on Zoom.com. But as far as me or my guests showing up there at this moment, that's not happening. We're rescheduling uh, future events in May. I believe that's May 2nd, the first Saturday of May. And hopefully Marcia K. Moore will be our continued guest who is scheduled out. So I hope all that makes sense. Okay, today we have a special guest. and We have Rich Germo, who you may know from his Harstein Island incident with Sasquatch. But what you don't know, maybe don't know, is that Rich is uh, pretty involved with preparedness and what uh, possibly is going on as far as this outbreak. And we're going to detour away from the world of Sasquatch and maybe come back to it towards the end. So definitely don't uh, turn off your uh, podcatcher. But there is some uh, information here that may be worth hearing. Uh, for you and your concerns about this virus. But um, we thought it was worth trying to have this conversation. And so these are just uh, two regular guys having a conversation about what's going on in their neighborhood in a world that is anything but normal, a very strange world we live in. So without further ado, our conversation about the state of COVID-19 and preparedness and then back to the world of Bigfoot, as promised, with Rich Germo. All right, I'm on the line with Rich Germo. Thanks for calling in, Rich. How you doing? I'm good. How are you doing? All right, good, man. Well, Rich, you made some time for us here. Uh, a lot of people know your story as it relates to what happened to you out in Harstein Island in the Sasquatch world, but you've been doing a lot of research as a pertains to preparing for the new, I guess, paradigm shift of the world economy and what we're looking at as far as this pandemic of coronavirus. Now, this radio show was never conceived to go down uh, the political road or the financial road or to look into things that uh, may necessarily be, uh, you know, I guess, perceived as somewhat a, a scare tactic, but... Um, hey, we're kind of in a weird, strange world right now where it feels a little bit upside down. I'm, I'm going on day number six of kind of self-quarantining me and Aaron up here in our cabin in the woods, mainly because of what we see outside in the streets, people in masks and gloves and... They either have one or two expressions on their face. They either uh, look like they don't give a shit at all about what's going on, or they look like they're prepared as hell. And we're kind of trying to fall someplace in the middle uh, of what's going on here in Washington State, since this is the, the epicenter for the coronavirus outbreak. But um, you've been... Uh, talking to me on and off throughout this and kind of uh, giving me little tidbits of information. Why don't you tell people a little bit about uh, what you've been doing privately and maybe we can get the ball rolling with 
getting people more familiar with why you think this is an important step to take as far as preparedness. Okay, well, maybe I should start by saying kind of what changed me, what forced me into the <clears throat> the living situation. I, I transformed my whole life, um, probably all, you know, all at the same time as, you know, my Bigfoot stuff was happening. And while I was a whistleblower, you know, after 2007 and 2008, and some things were just exposed to me as being a whistleblower and going through this process, because <clears throat> um, I was a cop and I reported, you know, other cops for criminal conduct on duty. And what I found out, found is that I just, you know, encountered this brick wall or this blue wall of silence, I guess you could say, and everybody was in on it. And I won't even get into any details about any of that stuff, <clears throat> but because it's not really that important, I think what's important is that it, it kind of took me on a different path in my life where I started to prepare and, and, um, you know, I, I got, I shed kind of a lot of my liabilities. I ended up filing bankruptcy when I left my job as a police officer, I gave back my house that I had and, and I kind of started over again because my family owned property, you know, in Jefferson County. A, a kind of big chunk of land and uh, I ended up investing whatever I had left into my living situation and now I don't have any debt or anything like that and I've kind of built myself up to that way I don't have a lot of money I live like more like a poor person but I don't have any debt and I own everything that I have you know and uh, I've done that because I kind of felt like well I think all the signs were there that a big change was going to occur in our everything about humanity it was coming very quick, you know, starting probably around 2001, everything started to shift after 9-11 and then 2008 crisis. And then, and then everything after the 2008 crisis, all that they did was to make it worse and pump it up bigger and more people stealing money out of everywhere. And just set us up for this huge crash. <clears throat> and everybody is, you know, everything is into this thing now, pensions and everything, everything's going to get stolen. I think, and, and it's because uh, they created a economic situation where secure money that was created by hard work by people that was invested was in, in locations where it couldn't be touched. And so they created an environment of artificially low interest because of these crises like 9-11, the 2008 crisis, where the only place to put this money through these pensions you know, state, federal, private pensions, 401ks, everything. It's all invested into the market and is at risk because that's the only place that you can get the rate of return that you need. And so now all this money, instead of being in a secure location, it's all able to be stolen at some point in a wealth transfer. And so now you have a stock market that's artificially pumped up, just huge. Everybody's in it even if they don't know they're in it, everything they got is in there and um, it's going to pop at some point. And I think what you're seeing, it was primed and for whatever reason, it's been held together for as long as it has. And, and it's just the world economy through the central bank. And it's like this big paper tiger. And now you have this coronavirus, which is like the black swan event that is kind of taking it all down. And, and it's pretty clear that that seems to be what's happening. We're just, uh, in a process now. And if you look back at the 1929 crash, it took a matter of months 
for that market to totally crash. And then we were in a depression for a decade. And it wasn't until World War II that we actually were able to come out of it because of this massive industrial buildup that we had, uh, which changed America after that. Everything changed in America after World War II. We became a completely different country, completely different standard of living, all related to World War II and coming out of the Great Depression. Well, you look at now, and and what's in front of us, it really parallels that 1929 period of time. You know, it just happens to be that this pandemic is what is pushing us over the edge, you know, into this abyss of whatever happens. And it's going to change everything, I think. I don't even know. I don't want to speculate too much, but it's going to change everything. What happens through with, after this and this economic thing, it's going to change everything. Uh, I mean, it's going to be a dramatic shift, I think. Very dramatic. People aren't ready for it. I don't even know what to really describe or to say because I'm not sure. But I know it's going to be way different. And uh, for a lot of people, it's probably going to be a big downgrade for what they're used to. It's just going to be the way it is. And we've been living on this credit for all these years. And and uh, people have been living well beyond their means. And um, I think that we're going to come back to reality a little bit when it comes to that. But anyways, how this virus, you know, gets us into that. You know, well, you know, obviously, who knows what to believe for sure. You have the president and saying one thing and then the World Health Organization saying another thing. And, and I think that really what you need to look at is evidence of China and uh, uh, which is a closed society, by the way, compared to ours, which is an open society. And they had real trial problems, even in a closed society with this thing where it got out of control real fast. And uh, they bulldozed the highways going in and out of the cities. It was all quarantine. Everybody locked down. All this, all the hospital staff was sick, so people weren't able to get treatment. So I think we have really no idea how many people were infected, what kind of casualty rate there was. I mean, we saw all kinds of stuff on YouTube with people falling over dead on the streets and body bags being thrown in incinerators, hearing all kinds of stories that they're burning people alive because they don't have hospitals to treat them in. And when you get to a point with this disease where it's fatal, you know, you die from acute asphyxiation where your lung, these little sacs in your lungs absorb oxygen fill up with fluid and they can't absorb. So you just gasp for air, you know, and you have mucus full of mucus too from it. And uh, that's how you end up dying from it. Well, they were just zipping people up in bags and throwing them in incinerators because they don't have hospitals for them anyways, you know? So, I mean, everything from people throwing pets over overpasses because you're getting no. information that pets can pass it and carry it. Let me ask you this, Rich. Um, you gonna- anyway, you've said some things here that I haven't heard. Um, but I want to come back to the pets because that gets into maybe what type of virus this is here. But you said that the highways in and out of China are being bulldozed. That's something I haven't heard before. Is that something that uh, has made the news or did you have to search well, that's for that how they, detail? Uh, you know, I saw some stuff on some of the alternative media. I heard a lot of it from my friend, a friend of mine that I work for. He uh, has really been into this and reading everything he can. So he was giving me lots of information, but it was part of the quarantine process. I know that I've heard it from multiple places. Yeah. They bulldozed the highways to cut, to trap people in Wuhan and other places. So they couldn't get out to spread the disease. You know, they were, they had martial law going on over there. It was not like you get caught walking around. They're going to put you, take you someplace. You're not, they were really trying to stop it and they couldn't stop it. I mean, it's out of control. It hasn't even peaked yet. It's still on the rise and they're two months into it. 
So that gives you a mirror what what's going to happen here in an open society where we don't really can we wait a lot longer before we put measures in place to control people. And I'm not saying we should be like China where everything should be locked down and the military should be there, but but at the same time, they took it pretty serious, you know. And every border country bordering China has locked down its border a long time ago. I mean, China's GDP is zero. They're not anything happening. No economic activity. The whole country still. You know, which is going to create massive shortages for everybody, us included here in no time at all. Right. all okay, let's, that, let's talk uh, about, let here. me ask you this, Rich, as far as these mass shortages that are going to show up, um, what do you think the window is as far as before we actually walk into Target or Costco and we don't see things like walkie-talkies, we don't see things like, you know, name brand shoes. Uh, when do you think that window is going to start popping I don't know. It could be any time, but from what I was hearing uh, when I was looking at stuff in the very beginning of this thing, like in the first couple of weeks, um, which was back in the first to end of December, first of January, when everything just really started to get shut down, uh, they were talking then that that was a period of time where they were in their back to school phase, and about you know where they were producing all the back to school stuff, and then there's a six or eight month window from the time all that stuff is produced, packaged, and sent over here. Right. And then right after back to school, they start Christmas. So they produce all Christmas goods in which we've already passed that now, too, or we're at the very end of it. It's we're at the time now where it's being processed and starting to get in shipping containers, getting ready to send over here Christmas stuff. So we're saying we've missed two windows where all of our goods for back to school, all of our goods for Christmas. Right. And those are like the uh, the major retail things. Uh, that's not to count all the other stuff they make. You know, the United States closed its last antibiotic lab down where they produced antibiotics in 2003 all antibiotics and everything's produced in china now they make everything they make medications they make all of our medical equipment our disposable stuff catheters face masks everything all that stuff so i would expect that you know since we're on an on-demand society meaning we don't have warehouses anymore full of stuff unless you're the cdc or you know uh, the P department of homeland security those guys hoard stuff but our warehouses don't because everything's on demand like you know it's either being shipped straight from the manufacturer a lot of stuff you know or it's not they don't have a back they don't have a bunch of stuff in a warehouse somewhere is what i'm saying once it's gone it's gone and then we have to wait for resupply which gets sent overseas from China and they aren't making anything. So, I mean, anytime I think that you could start seeing shortages of, of stuff and not to mention like in South Korea, all of Asia, China in particular, think about even all the uh, equipment manufacturers and auto manufacturers that exist in other parts of the world. Most of their parts come from China or South Korea or Taiwan, which are all shut down. They're not making any of that stuff. So, I mean, you're going to have shortages of everything that you can think of. And uh, I don't know how you recover from something like that because it's going to stop everything. Do no, you know what I mean? Well, yeah, no, just to give people an example. I, if you want an example of what this may look like as far as the upside down world, out, out in Seattle, downtown in particular, the morning commute is something to dread. It's uh, it's like a daily apocalyptic scenario trying to get in and out of the city from six in the morning till six at night. If you go on to WDOT, which is the Washington Department of 
uh, transportation cameras, the W-DOT cameras, and look at the commute come Monday morning, it is drastically different than it was, say, even two or three weeks ago. And that has to, a lot to do with what's going on with Google, Amazon, and Facebook, the, the big three down there, and Microsoft. And Amazon in particular, we're Amazon Prime holders, getting these products in and out on demand that are generally coming from China may mm-hmm. indeed bankrupt these multi-billion dollar corporations downtown, which are in the middle, uh, Washington in particular, uh, King County is in the middle of this huge growth spurt. So that uh, that would be very interesting to look at that just as far as an unemployment standard oh. coming in here on the West Coast. I think the ramifications from this thing, I mean, we haven't started to even feel them yet. I think it, it, rather than the, I mean, yeah, we should be concerned about, you know, people dying because people are going to die. I mean, it's going to be a big number when this thing's over again. And this thing might not end up being over till next year. It might keep going all the way through. They don't know. But what what the biggest damage in the most thing in history that will be remembered from this is that it destroyed the world economy because it it is going to destroy the economy. It will not resemble anything it resembles today when this is over, because like you just said, it's going to stop everything in a situation in a system that can't afford to miss one second because one second will bankrupt it. If one second lapses and, and, and something's missed, it will be over. I mean, it's that dramatic. I mean, people don't realize, and everybody is leveraged into this. I mean, everybody could lose everything related to it. I'm talking, people don't think about, you know, that your state pension and your federal pension is tied into a stock-to-stock market or the bond market, which is crashing. The, The U.S. Treasury bond market is totally crashing right now. I mean, they can't even stop it. They lowered interest rates by half a point in an emergency to try to stop it, and it didn't even work, you know. And uh, it means that nobody has faith in U.S. Treasuries. It's like, uh, and that's how our country functions by selling debt. They sell debt from from the Federal Reserve. They auction it off every day to get money to function. So somebody it's at the funny end of the day is somebody. Works. Yeah, somebody's making money off of this somehow, even though that doesn't seem possible because of buying and selling, but. People are also making money in the What do you stock. mean making as oh, far as, like as, uh, what do you mean people are making money somehow? Well, it, as far as people betting on people's losses, that's also a thing, right? As far as the stock market is concerned, you can also bet on how much is going to be lost and make money off of uh, assets that way, can't you? Oh, sure. Well, the whole thing, I look, I, I don't I'm not in the stock market at all. But I tell you, I know a lot about it because I've spent every day for the last 10 years looking at it. And I look at the bond uh, yields. I look at everything, metal prices, mm-hmm. just to watch it because those are the biggest indicators that are going to tell you when it's going to tip over. I mean, and, and I thought for a long time it was going to blow. You know, I've taken some measures to mitigate, you know, and, and to hedge myself a little bit, you know. And that's what, what you were just saying, okay, when you have a market crash – any large market crash, what that is, is a wealth transfer. It means that certain people are, are taking siphoning money off. It's like a big casino and the big players are pulling, pulling out when they're stealing, taking everybody's money. Do you know what I mean? Like, uh, when the yeah. pension, every, everything, when the stock market crashes, 
all that that money, that wealth never disappears. It just transfers to someplace else. I mean, somebody else is getting a fatter bank account when everybody else loses in the market. Yeah, and I want to get into speculation on who you think that may be or where you know things are pointed. But I want to ask you first about um, dispelling some of the rumors and myths maybe that uh, you feel comfortable at least talking about. One of the things about this coronavirus is we're in this gray area where it's a new virus. No one really knows the whole truth about it. Um, for example, one of the things mm-hmm. that they say out here in the West Coast is they give an infection rate of how many people have the virus. They never say how many people they've tested because there is a lack of test kits. Uh, so how can you publicly say these kind of numbers and during a press conference, you know, 84 people infected with, and that's not true. We don't know how many people because A, it could take up to supposedly 21 days to be infected. And then there's the lack of uh, kits available. One of the things I want to ask you is about uh, this virus being a zoonotic. Have you heard anything about uh you mentioned that the pets were being killed in China. Have you heard anything about pets transferring or wild animals transferring this virus? You know, I read, I think I've read a couple of different things that said it was, but then officially they've said that in the media that that's not the case. Uh, They said that there was one instance in China that I heard on the radio that there was one pet that was being quarantined because it, it was tested and showed very low levels of the virus, but not high enough to infect a human uh, or to even have any serious symptoms itself, but its owner had died of the virus. And that's all I've officially heard. I mean, other than, you know, I've read some reports from the alternative media. I think I sent you something that said that it was passable from animals. But um, I mean, what do we really know? We live in this time of misinformation where where you don't know what's real and what's not. The media, the the regular media is lying to you all the time. So, I mean, you have to pick, you know, and really read it before, and then make a judgment on everything. You can't really take anything at face value anymore. Would you kind of agree with that? <laughs> well, it's difficult. Yeah, I mean, everything seems to be geared towards either people's worldview or people are just uh, trying to jump on the latest news without fact checking. It's all about being first rather than yeah. being right. So, and and I'm trying not to do that here. I mean, you're not an infectious disease specialist. You're not, uh, you know, trying no. to predict, predict the stock market in any way beyond what you're comfortable with here. And, you know, these are, as far as I'm concerned, I'm a very, a very layman when it comes to most of this stuff. I, I worked for six years as a corpsman and medic in the Navy, but, um, you know, with limited exposure to uh, things uh, as far as a, a pandemic are concerned, we, we would drill for things like this and prepare to a certain degree, uh, you know, regarding how to handle this in a war footing but as far as day-to-day operations in town, um, what are some measures that people could take as far as infection control? Do you, I see a lot of people absolutely in denial about what's going on downtown Seattle over here on the peninsula where you and I live. Uh, what, what kind of steps can people take to avoid, as far as you're concerned, contracting uh, COVID-19? Well, the, the truth is, is our society is not set up to stop or slow down this kind of thing. It's set up to make it spread faster. And so, I mean, individually, you know, what are you going to do? I mean, I mean, truthfully speaking, we probably all should have stopped move, doing much of anything about six weeks ago. 
but that's not how things work and that's not how it's going to happen. You know, and, you know, up until this point, you know, even our government's really weary about telling people stopping anything or telling people not to do this or to do that. It's they're they're saying it was your judgment call essentially. So essentially what's going to happen is that, you know, you should probably quarantine yourself or take some measures. I mean, you could glove and mask, but is that really going to prevent it? I don't know. I think this thing is passes so easy that your chances of getting it are so easy that it's likely that we're all probably mostly going to get it at some point, I would suspect. And it's just going to have to take its course because they're not going to stop everything. I don't think you're going to see martial law in this country. I don't think you're going to see him blow up bulldoze I five coming out of Seattle. It's going to pass amongst us. We're going to deal with it and it's going to take its course and the consequences are going to be what the consequences are. I think it's already past the point of uh, being able to do much. But one thing I would do for sure is, is that I would essentially have, you know, whatever medical supplies that you can have at home, anti-inflammatories, probably. I mean, this thing kills you with inflammation, essentially. So it makes sense to to probably take some a lot of doses of ibuprofen, Tylenol. Turmeric is probably a really good thing to take. Cannabis oil or cannabis is an anti-inflammatory, a really powerful anti-inflammatory. It's probably something good for it. I mean, smoking it probably is not good because uh, I, I guess this thing is really hard on smokers because it dries out the mucous membrane and the um, esophagus and then the lungs, and then it, it lets this thing uh, have easier access. But, um, yeah, food. Have have normal, whatever normal stockpiles that you would have to make it for, I would say, two to six weeks without any contact outside your house. So if you need to get a little bit extra pharmaceutical medications or whatever prescriptions that you have, maybe it would be a good idea to try to do that or stock up on over-the-counter stuff. You know, like I said, vitamin C, stuff for your immune system to keep it boosted up, uh, anti-inflammatories, cold medicine, because that's, you know, what symptoms this thing has is flu symptoms. Okay, let's dispel this other uh, urban legend going around right now. One of the threads that I received was that there's a 5G conspiracy associated with this. Have you heard that conspiracy? Uh, well, I mean, there's been a 5G conspiracy since okay. 5G came out. I well, mean, one obviously, of the, there's a big agenda that, Right. One of the one of the uh, I guess urban legends or uh, internet myths going around is that five G is somehow amplifying this virus. I.e., in Wuhan they have several five G towers that were recently erected. Obviously, Wuhan got hit pretty hard. Iran has a huge five G network that got set up. Uh, Seattle, in particular, up near where this retirement home has new 5G systems. So I guess the theory is, is that 5G is somehow amplifying this virus, uh, mutating it, making it grow faster. Have you heard anything about that? Yeah, I saw a couple little things about it. Um, it's possible. You know, there's a been nonstop conspiracy stuff about 5G ever since we first heard about it. And it was like a uh, death grid and, people with bloody noses and all this stuff and it's microwave technology. So I don't know. Um, you know, I don't have a smartphone. I don't have a cell phone just because I, I'm not real. I gave all that up in 2012 and I never really looked back and I'm kind of the, uh, anomaly. 
hard to get a hold of and talk to, but I, it's just that I'm really scared of those things in a way. I just feel like, uh, I don't know. I think we've given up too much privacy with all the technology and stuff that we've gotten. It, it's just a uh, high risk. It's a tracking device, I guess. <laughs> you know, that's one reason why. I mean, it's an intel. The way I look at a smartphone, it's it's a tracking and an intelligence gathering device. And maybe if everybody's, I, I don't know. I just feel like I give too much privacy up, put too much power. I just can't do it. Right. They that's they weird. add all the entertainment value you could ever dream of on a tracking device and an information gathering tool. Well. Cr- well, sure. You know, I'm online for sure, but I, I, I like to think at least I try to control that with getting on when I want to, but mm-hmm. it's just, everything is like, whoa, it's, it's so integrated in every part of our lives. It, mm-hmm. it, um, I don't know. It just seems like it's too much. Rich, why is this different than the bird flu or Ebola or even the, the sp- the Spanish flu. What makes this this different? The situation uh, around this pandemic and where we are globally and the virus itself. I don't know. You know, we had H one N one and uh, the bird flu and all the stuff that passed through. You know, over the last decade, and I think we were in a similar situation then with travel and everything like that. But obviously, they weren't quite as dangerous. They didn't pass quite as easy as this thing does. And I think this thing, well there's tons of conspiracy on this thing. If you've looked at any of it, I mean, I think that even our own government is questioning whether or not that it might be a bioweapon that's been engineered and possibly in one of our own labs, you know, here, um, just because of, uh, the, the genetic material related to it and how it's connected to HIV. I mean, that's pretty well documented and, uh, how it attaches to, you know, T cells or, or whatever it does. I don't know all the information related to it. I'm just saying that this virus in particular seems to be especially dangerous because of how easy it passes and, and humanity has no immunity to it whatsoever. And it seems like you can catch it more than once because you don't really build immunity to it the first time that you get it. So you can get it again or either that or it mutates enough to where it's a new infection the second time. So it seems like it just infects at such a high rate like uh what is the number that i read from the world health organization uh in fact the fatal rate was what 3.4 i think it passes do you recall how how um what what do they call it the rate of passage it's like 2.3 people are going to be infected by every individual who catches it um it's way higher than like a flu or mm-hmm. anything else that we've really seen. I mean, it, the infection rate, which which is so dangerous because if you have so many people that get infected at the same time, I mean, a certain percentage of those people are going to require hospitalization to survive. Well, you know, this thing works and same thing happened in China. It, it, it's so infectious that the hospital staff get sick. They can't treat anybody. Hospital gets overwhelmed right away. I mean, like at uh, like for instance, we have one patient in Jefferson County Hospital. I live in Jefferson County. There's a Corona patient in the hospital here that they just announced two days ago. Jefferson County Hospital only has 13 beds for the whole county of 28,000 people. Wow! How long is it going to take? What percentage of the people have to get sick, and then uh, and then how many of those beds have that type of air containment that is necessary for this, so you don't infect everybody else in the hospital? 
because of the air circulation. You know, how many hospital beds has Qualum County got? You know, Kitsap is a little bit better, I'm sure, because of Harrison has got quite a few. Maybe maybe Kitsap, maybe Harrison's got 100 beds even. You know, how, how big is the population of uh, Kitsap County? Well, and these are not normal beds they need. They need quarantined off. These are special bio units that, that would either have to be made or found or designed. This isn't just a regular, so what, you know, room looking out the window. No. So what's the, what's the, uh, so I guess what do we see in two weeks? Because obviously we know that this thing is just in the beginning. It's going to spread dramatically. You know, the World Health Organization said that 20 or 30 percent of the world population is going to catch this before it even peaks and starts to decline the other way. So we're just in the beginning of it, right? What is our, uh, what are our hospitals and medical services going to be able to, how are they going to treat this thing? Because maybe the casualty rate is one, two, three percent now, and all these people will acquire care to survive. Well, when all these people get sick at the same time and nobody can go to the hospital and you can't get that kind of care, what happens to all those people? A lot these more are, people die, right. probably. These are good questions. Right. And so what, sure. Yeah. It's, and that's a, that's a, that's a reality that we're going to be facing here in the next week or two. And it's unknown. So what, what are you going to see your local governments doing to take emergency measures or even the federal government or the state? Maybe what they're doing in Seattle where they're buying hotels up to use as quarantine stations or build other housing. I don't know, but I think that you're going to see something similar to that popping up everywhere. Or maybe, you know, I don't know. Um, I know we've all probably heard the term FEMA camps over the last few years. I, I don't know. Do they really exist? I think we might find out because this might create a situation where uh, we're going to have some sort of an emergency where potentially we're going to have to do something. Well, think about Seattle has 12,000 transient homeless people living within the city. What's going to happen to all those people? Do you think that they have the likelihood of being able to pass this thing pretty easy amongst themselves? They live in the weather. A lot of them are sick. A lot of them use drugs. Maybe mm -hmm. a lot of them. That could be a problem. It's going to be a problem. Right. Someone has to think this way. You can't just close your eyes and stick your head in the sand. To all This has to be somebody who is geared to thinking of these worst case scenarios. And I know this episode is going to be tough for some of the listeners because they're used to hearing about, uh, you know, the cryptids and everything strange coming on. But yeah. uh, regarding what you're talking about, knowing full well what it looks like downtown Seattle, um, it's a ticking time bomb of infection control because of the fact that the streets downtown uh, are I mean, if you look at it like the human body, it's one of the most infected areas on the human body in the Pacific Northwest. And it's metastasized to a degree to where you expect something like this to run away up, up the nervous system, which in this case would be the highways and streets and alleyways. These little areas here will start to mitigate infection outside of the infected area and start to metastasize in places like Bellevue and Marysville yeah. and eventually over here. Well, yeah, you know, it's just crazy. You know, I read the uh, report on the first, I read the report, it was a U.S. government report and I can't, I, I wrote it on the, the cue board actually, uh, read it there where there's a medical report on the first guy 
who was up in Everett that that was known the first known case in the United States, and and it and it gave a whole blog of the entire scenario of his symptoms and what happened to him and his treatment and, and everything as a result of it. And even it was hard with this virus; they couldn't through the process at times they couldn't even trace a virus in his plasma in his blood. But during the process, he, he had uncontrollable bowel movements and stuff, too, because it caused gastric stress. And they found that in the bodily fluids, the urine and the feces had super high rates of the virus in it, very high. So, you know, what happens with all those people in Seattle. They use the streets as their bathroom. Well, I mean, this thing can pass heavily. I mean, you're seeing the problems like this in L.A. and San Francisco where they have typhus and, and, and the bubonic plague and other stuff as a result of these homeless camps and things that right. are coming back up. Well, this is it's going to pass this way. Mm. These people crap and pee in the streets, you know, mm. out there. They don't care. It's not going to be. And, and then this I think this virus has a really strange ability to be able to live a really long time outside the body on surfaces. And I guess that it can encapsulate itself and live, uh, it has to stay moist, but it can create a shell around itself on the outside and stay dormant for quite a while. And then if a surface becomes wet again, it rehydrates it and becomes active again. Okay. Some of these qualities you're describing, Rich, uh, it sounds as though you're describing something that sounds kind of like the perfect bug. Knowing uh, yeah. There's speculation about Wuhan and this bio lab, weapon grade bio lab that was near the province. Do you think this was a designed bioweapon? Well, I mean, you know, think about China, what was going on in China before this happened. Protests in Hong Kong, uh, most of the rest of the country was having trouble socially with people not liking to be forced to go to work at a factory at gunpoint, essentially. And you had a lot of situations where people were getting ready to start protesting throughout the country. Well, this virus pretty much stopped all the protesting in Hong Kong. You don't hear about that anymore. And then, you know, you look at this trade deal and everything where China had all this huge, uh, I guess you would say, um, regarding trade anyways, they had this huge, uh, Oh, what's the word I'm looking for? My mind just went blank. Well, they're in a position of advantage, right? Because of the valuation of the dollar versus their currency and everything. And now with this trade deal, everything's being equalized. And um, they stand to not profit as much. And then the other point in China is they have all these extra people. Like in China, you know that you're forced to retire at age 50 because they don't have enough jobs for everybody. They have too many people. So when you look at this thing in China, China gets to mitigate a lot of liabilities with this disease and they get to pay some people back too. So you would think that regardless of where, if this is a, uh, a bioweapon, regardless of what lab or, or what country it was created in, it made its way to Wuhan and it got out there. And you would think that, there would be lots of reasons why the Chinese government would want to release this. 
that would just be the way that I would think about it, common sense wise, is think about everything that was happening, all the context of everything, all mm-hmm. the liabilities China has. It's a communist society. If it wants to shed some some uh, liability, this is not that too bad of a way to do it, <laughs> you know. Or right. they can they, claim, you know, plausible deniability. We don't know anything. How do they protect themselves against it? Are they inoculated with a, you know, a uh, an antivirus of some kind? Are they getting immunized beforehand? How do they protect themselves? You know, if there is a they pointed at this virus going down this conspiracy well, uh, road, how do, how do they protect themselves yeah. from getting it? Well. Well, maybe maybe it's not the, the the they the they that we are thinking about too. Maybe it's not the Chinese government per se. Maybe they're not really the ones that are running their own country. Just kind of like maybe our own government here is not really the ones that run this country. I mean, think about who's behind it all. Who are the ones running things? You know. And I hate to go there, but I think that if you you kind of look at Jeffrey Epstein, you might get a little bit better idea of the bigger picture of maybe how things are really working and who's maybe running things. If you look at who he was working for and what he was doing and how that was creating a situation where essentially they, I guess, the people that Epstein was working for, how they were manipulating and controlling everyone. Who are those people? That's the question, because those are really the people that mm-hmm. are pulling the strings, the people that this handler was out, you know, getting blackmail for them on everybody that had any power. And uh, I mean, I guess maybe they're the ones that have protected themselves against this virus and maybe mm-hmm. you're the ones behind letting it out. Is that potentially a possibility? Mm-hmm. I, I think maybe so, you know, um, especially when you're looking at everything else going on right now too, where there's other conspiracies and other stuff out there related to this whole big picture. Like maybe these people are in jeopardy right now because Mm -hmm. of other, you know, agendas that are happening and and maybe that this may be a result of them fighting Mm -hmm. back and protecting themselves, I Mm -hmm. I guess to to get down to it. If you want to simplify who these people really are in the big picture without naming any individual names, you can just probably look at the central banking system because they're the ones who run everything. They're the ones who issue the money. They control the money supply and it's a private bank and it's worldwide through the world bank and IMF. All the central banks are connected to each other. They create money, digital money out of nowhere. And then they lend it to countries with interest attached, right? All these money, this money that we spend on credit cards, all this money we get to buy houses and stuff like that. They make it out of thin air and they charge us interest on it, right? And then we pay them back. We're all indebted to them. The whole world is. The countries are, the individuals are, because we use their money. They create it out of thin air. They control the money supply. They put interest on the money. They charge us interest to use it. They're maybe the ones kind of behind this whole thing. They're the ones who run the economy and the stock market. It's not the it's not the uh, Treasury Department. It's not the... Um, it's not the U.S. government that runs the economy. They really don't have much to do with it because they don't control the money. I mean, right. I hate to go down that rabbit hole, but it kind of points you back to the people that maybe would be responsible for this. I, I think that when we're looking at individual governments, mm-hmm. that's not really the level that we should be looking at. It's the people that are running the individual governments 
from the outside, the people that aren't subject to, to any, you know, laws of any countries, the people that are above all those laws, there is a group of people that are out there that are those people. So the elected officials from the president on down, they have no real control. They have no real power. I mean, they are literally the so. puppets puppets of these other larger massed entities, corporations. Well, yeah, because you know what? They're using the money that those people control too. They're controlled by the same money. Mm. Right. And so they would have a vested interest in, in how this virus plays out. I mean, they they would have financial interest for sure on how this virus plan, uh, plays out. Do you think that they have the answer to how to handle this and will offer us, um, you know, an olive branch of peace to this new pandemic, uh, you know, create a problem so they can offer a solution sort of deal at a price, of course? Well, of course. I mean... Well, I think what what comes out of this, right, is that obviously you go through a situation like this, and I think we're just going to have to go through it, and whoever, the, whatever the casualties are, they are. I mean, that's kind of the agenda. Get rid of some people anyways. And what is it getting rid of? It's getting rid of the sick and the old liabilities, people that cost money to the economy. Those are the ones that, that are at high risk from this thing, you know, and um so what comes out of this whole thing at the end, obviously a vaccine in a year, six weeks or year and a half, maybe less. And then, and then possibly, you know, I think we saw, you know, when you looked at uh, measles, mumps, rubella, and how we had all these states, Washington states, one in particular that signed legislation to force you to get them. There's no exemptions with the, these vaccines. Everybody's got to do it. You can't go to school anymore. No work. I think you're going to see that advance even further to where maybe you got to carry papers around with you that show that you have these vaccines. And if you don't have them, then you're going to be not allowed to participate or go certain places or maybe not work, maybe not go to school. So it's like, you're going to have to show papers. That's kind of where I see this thing going as a result of this. I think you're going to see more freedoms lost. And I think the way that they like to take freedoms away from us is when we beg them to take them from us, you know, because of circumstances and context. So we, we, we ask them to do it to us. Do you know what I mean? Sure. No, I mean, you've brought that up in the beginning, even with a smartphone, you know, you're begging for your freedom to be lost. You're begging to have a tracking device and you're willing to pay to have these tracking devices inserted in your back pocket. This sounds like uh, uh, kind of the same deal where you're begging for your coworker to lose his freedom based upon showing his papers. And uh, yeah, you already see that. Well, yeah, because, you know, in the public schools. Sure. Yeah, because this, this these circumstances have been created because of this situation, the virus. And, and they, they get to play this out however they like because they control the news media owned by six corporations. And, and then they tell the story how they want to tell it. And the people perceive it mostly how the news media tells it because we want to trust. We want to trust. We have a willingness to trust. We want to trust and, and think and hope and pray that everything's done in our best interest and, and nobody would ever have illicit purposes in mind. You know, I mean, we want to be taken advantage of, we desire it. What about uh, the people that would say, Rich, that this is the earth's way of kind of equaling things out. This has nothing to do with man. This just has to do with nature weeding out the weak 
it does it every so often with some kind of, you know, cataclysm. Uh, this is maybe no different. Do you, what do you say to people that says it has nothing to do with uh, some kind of, you know, secrecy afoot? This has to do with a, a global answer uh, and something natural. It could be that, you know, I believe that the earth is a, a conscious being just like we are. And I think it's aware. And I think that if we ever get to the point where we're a serious threat to it, that it's like, it'll be like a dog that tries to, you know, shake off or drown parasites. I mean, same thing. So, I mean, I'm not as concerned about climate change and other things as other people might be, because I really think that, you know, the earth has more control than we think. I think that we have less control than we think, to be honest with you, but, um, that's certainly possible, but I mean, I don't think that's the case with this because of uh, the context of everything. I mean, this is all set up to where we needed some sort of an event to push this forward, you know, uh, and I think maybe the president that we have now has been kind of stepped in the way of this process that that um, the New World Order, I guess you call it, or whoever's behind this, the central bank or whoever had this agenda to push things forward into a new, you know, uh, era. And I, I think that because of, well, obviously somebody stuck, you know, a rod in the gears and, and, and broke everything to hell because we were on one path right after Obama of a world government, essentially a world system. And all that's been stopped dead in its tracks. All of the trade deals have been destroyed that would have help push that forward. Everything is nationalized. Now, every country in the world almost other than the EU is isolated itself in certain ways and is renegotiating all trade and everything. It's not a world system anymore. So I would think that, you know, that based on all the circumstances that this is more likely a man created event than a earth created event. Right, right. We just don't know yet. It's all, it's all so new and uh, only yeah. time, time will tell how this is handled. Now, you said earlier, of course, after the 1920s when we went through a depression that war was really the only thing that brought us out of that. Do you think that will be the answer again, that we'll uh, revamp some new war for an, a rise of an industrial nation to rise up out of this like the U.S. did? I think that'll be the desire of it, but it'll depend on if the people will tolerate it or not, or if they'll be fooled into it. Because I mean, this is an age of information where now the people have the ability to know anything that's available almost. I mean, they may have to pick through it and make their own judgments on it, but it's a lot harder to fool people than it was before, maybe in some ways, um, because of the available information. But I think the desire will be to go that path, but I think it will be up to humanity to allow it or not. They'll have to come to a point where it, it, they'll have to make a decision if they're going to let, if they're still going to be, you know, controlled by a puppet master or if, if, or if they're going to try to take control themselves and be in charge of their own lives. We'll have to wait and see. Okay, let's, let's go down this rabbit hole of prophecy because you can't help it. We're looking at things right now that almost seem prophetic. And we have to at least talk about some of these things that are happening, including sure. the, the rise of China and Russia against America. That's something a prophecy, some would say. Uh, there's also uh, this burgeoning of locust infestation feeding um, overseas right now. I don't know if anybody's followed up on oh, yeah. locust impact. 
uh, I was joking with you, I'm waiting to see the seas turn red with blood <laughs> at any moment. Now, we come along on these dates in history, we can go back through time and say, oh, they thought that about this, they thought that about that. But what makes this difference in your mind? And are you looking for things happening along the way here that are part of prophecy to say, see, that's part of it. That's another one. How are you handling that part of this? Uh, you know, I'm paying close attention to it, I think. I mean, I'm not putting all my eggs in that basket. But at the same time, if you're looking at the circumstances of the thing, look, I mean, what's reality today? Think back 20 years ago and what your life was at that point and, and the things that you were thinking about. And, and I mean, I, I, I thought about the future some back in those times and thinking about what it would be like. I can tell you that what it's like right now is nothing I could ever imagined even then. I would never have thought of my wildest dreams that we would have the situation that we have now socially, uh, everything, you know, I mean, here's the truth. You know, we live in this time right now where things are so fucked up. Sorry for my, uh, for my phrase socially, nobody gets along. Everybody's at each other's throats. You have all this confusion related to, um, what you are now or, or all these different movements, the transgender, everything. It's so weird, you know? And I remember back when I was, you know, in 1995, I graduated from high school and I was just talking about this to somebody the other day, you know, you're having these school shootings and racism and all this crap that goes on today. In 1995, we didn't have any of these fricking problems. I lived in a Navy town, Kitsap County, Silverdale. We had people from all ethnic backgrounds, all races, we never had, I don't remember, recall one issue of, of, of any racism at our school where we had any serious discrimination related to anybody's gender issues or anything like that. Everybody got along fine. Now nobody gets along. And it's like that. It seems like throughout the whole world, all these issues have been brought up now that have like said that we're all these terrible people. We don't get along with each other. We hate each other uh, about everything, politically, everything. And, um, it just seems like, you know, it has gotten to the point where if, I mean, I, I pay attention to, you know, what past history books have said, you look at the Bible, for instance, I mean, I would say that's more of a history book than anything else. It's got a lot of stories in it, but, you know, it talks about, you know, Noah's flood and, and, you know, tower of Babel and these different points in history where, where God came in and, and he kind of struck everything down and started everything over again. And, you know, and it talked about, you know, related to Noah's flood that, you know, again, in the future, things will be again as they were in the times of Noah. And then you look at Revelation, it tells you the same thing. And if you look at Revelation and everything, I mean, we are set, so everything's set up, I guess you could say for everything to happen, just like it says. And many of the things I think are parallel to saying how it's going to be in the end days. Uh, the locust swarms, the, the, you know, the people dying of disease, famine, you know, what to say, like one third of the creatures in the ocean will die. I mean, we've had major problems in the ocean over the last few years with whales and stuff dying after Fukushima uh, and other issues. And, you know, haven't you ever noticed that they never talk about Fukushima anymore and it's still pumping all this radioactive material into the Pacific ocean. And right, uh, right. Yeah, it's, it's not really like, a they act sexy... like it's no big deal. It's not a sexy no. news story anymore, is it all? 
No, in the garbage patch in the Pacific, you know, apparently a couple of them, like bigger than the state of Texas. And, and it's just like, okay, we're, we're like, I don't know. I mean, it certainly seems like you could make an argument for the fact that we are kind of parallel with some prophecy that's out there. I mean, I'm sure Nostradamus have even, even uh, prophesized about some of the things that are happening today. I mean, look at what we're carrying. We're carrying around. It says, you know, in the end times that everybody will know all, have the ability to know all things, information, you know, well, you yeah, can't. That's a big I mean, one because uh, that almost you, was a type of godlike omniscience that nobody could have foreseen as the internet back in yep. the 1980s even. I mean, there was just no, no way you could see how we would be so webbed together with this type of omniscience. Yeah. No, no, that that is a big issue. Uh, and then um, the phone. I mean, the mark of the beast and, and not being able to buy, sell, and trade without the mark in your forehead or your wrist. Well, the phone, you can buy, sell, and trade with the phone. It's got your whole identity in it. It is you. You know, I mean, uh, it's what, one more step. Wasn't the technology even now to put chips in your head to where you can pretty much have the phone in your head and access everything inside of it? Isn't that a technology that I've kind of read about that's coming? I think, yeah, there's a neuro implant. Like with the ocular that, nerve uh, and stuff? Yeah, Elon Musk is pushing a, a neuro implant, although I think he's he's at the same time uh, speaking out of both sides of his mouth as far as the dangers of AI and the creating AI, you know, it's, it really is the Terminator. It's Skynet all over again. I mean, this is the danger of going down this road is that you impact too much into, to one theory, but you know, when there's pieces of the puzzle that seem to want to be locked together and you don't really have to try to do them, um, you know, I'm just as willing to listen to a skeptic to these concepts right now, but as far as prophecy is concerned, um, right now, we're in the middle of doing a private remote viewing course. Uh, we do it once a week. There's five of us involved. We've been doing it for almost two months uh, straight. And um, if you're looking at how the prophets of old may have had things derived to them, this is nothing new. All the, all the information is gathered up in through space and time so you can access it through something like remote viewing. So a Nostradamus or the book of Daniel, um, you know, these kind of things are possible to do, to look ahead at future events. Although you'd be, you know, burned at the stake back then or, you know, hung upside down on a cross and killed. So it, it is possible to have, uh, you know, uh, information delivered to you uh, as far as a discipline is concerned. I don't know about, uh, how they access this kind of information, but you believe in the, these kind of things as well, don't you, Rich? Oh, sure. I mean, I had some experiences after um, 2012, 13, 14, after Harstein Island and stuff where I really feel like, honestly, that uh, I was kind of given something in return for my tenacity and not giving up and kind of to make me stop wanting to look I guess I got some satisfied and I think that there, I mean, I, that information really is important. It's just stuff to satisfy myself to not have fears about certain things. But I think what it showed me though, is that there's this collective consciousness out there that everybody, you know, the universal information that everybody has the ability to tap into. It's just that we don't know how. And sometimes it taps into us for one reason or another, or, or some entity or power has the ability to control that. And, and to, and to send information to, or, or, uh, 
or remotely view, like you're saying, or, or there's other people that are, have uh, a better connection with their subconscious, I guess, who my theory with that is that the subconscious, you know, always kind of has access to all that information, but it, it can't relay that to you. It's kind of cut off to you. And the only communication that you really have between you and your self subconscious is emotion or, or feelings or senses, or it can tell you things to, you know, move you one way or the other, or, or just give you that. And I think that you can learn to read that language a little bit better to get more information out of it. But, uh, I've learned, I mean, I feel like I've learned a lot about, uh, the subconscious through this Bigfoot thing and about how it connects to the conscious and, and, uh, mm -hmm. what's available through that. Okay. Let me ask you this, as far as the revelations, as far as not only your sighting, but what's happening now in the wave of disclosure, uh, with the UFO phenomena, that also kind of seems to fit into a prophecy paradigm. Do you think that's also an answer to the greater question of what's about to unfold as far as some kind of global answer to a global crisis? This is one of the thoughts, of course, well, you know, of someone like, like L.A. Marzulli, who talks about uh, there being uh, yeah. a great revelation that's going to happen from the ETs, some great deception, we'll call it. I yeah, you know, I don't know for sure. I mean, I haven't thought, I guess that my sense in my, uh, my gut hasn't let me, I've thought about it through my mind that far ahead. Like what's the end game? What's the result that comes out of this more with my, me and my instincts and my gut and my feeling and whatever connection I have to the collection collective consciousness has basically driven me and compelled me to prepare myself and to basically be a town crier and then tell everybody that I run into or everybody I talk to and contact to get ready. And, and um, I don't even care if they think I'm nuts or crazy or anything. I just am compelled to tell people what I have this strong sense of. It's like I feel I have this obligation and um, to let them know that there's a big event coming forward and that there's things that they can do to help themselves be ready for. And, and I think more so than anything, um, the thing that that is the most important preparedness that you can have related to this is to prepare your mind, be mentally prepared for what's about to come, because I think it's going to be so shattering to to everybody, especially people that are so uh, integrated and connected into the system that we're in. And I mean, uh, um, it's going to be so difficult to, uh, how should I put this? I think that it's just, it's going to be a, a, a totally belief system destroying event outside of any ET or revelation related to that. I'm talking about just what occurs through this economic collapse, I guess you could say, where everything is going to end up being restructured. Mm -hmm. And I think that ultimately what comes out of this in the end is this revelation that, okay, there's all this truth that's been withheld from you related to all kinds of things, information about your history. Uh, it could be Bigfoot is probably a fact. It's obviously going to be a factor. Bigfoot would be, I would think, uh, ET, um, stuff related to zero point energy. I think all kinds of stuff, tech, stuff that's been suppressed maybe on its way to be coming out sooner or later like very soon as kind of an antidote for this but i also would be cautious that the fact is and i would always be suspicious because 
the people that have all this control and power that control this narrative and decide when and where and what to disclose have the the intention for them is to still maintain control. So they're going to tell that information and disclose it in a way that gives them an upper hand and allows them to maintain power and control over humanity. I don't think that we're uh, coming up to any certain point in time where we're going to really be free and be handed our freedom and the true responsibility of that freedom. I think that there's always going to be a desire for other humans that have more information and knowledge than us to control us through this information. And I don't know how that we are going to ever get to the point where we can overcome that to where we can get to the truth. And I think that that's why it's so important that each of us think independently and make up our own minds about everything and that we don't take anybody's word for any of it. I mean, you you have to consider all the evidence and all the information, but then you, you take all that in and then you determine on your own what to make of it all. What is your, uh, um, how, how do you define it all? I mean, I mean, it's not really a smart thing to that all of us just read a history book and it says that this is what happened. And, and because what you have to realize is that only the winners write history, the losers' story never gets told. And so we only have one side of history of everything, the skewed side of one side that wants you to view it a certain way. So we really don't know anything. And the Bible is a perfect example of it. You know, I mean, I'm a faithful person. I believe in God and all that. But I learned a long time ago that the Bible was a book um, that was manipulated by man, created by man. And the whole intent of that book, you know, where when the Catholic Church, you know, removed a whole bunch of books out of it and, and, and reformed the whole thing. In my opinion, the whole intent of that was to control humanity. So they made all of their decisions on what was going to be in the book and not be in the book and what history was going to be told and not told based on the control of man. I mean, there's good stuff in there about how to, you know, how it's a good idea to live this way and to not kill people and to tell the truth and not steal, you know, and this and that. But at the same time, you have to consider the fact that the people that formed those books together and, and put that book together did it with the intent that they wanted to use it to control humanity. Right. So, there's I mean, there's, a, there's hidden information that has been blocked from public viewing and, uh, you know, looking into the book of Enoch and, and seeing how that fits into mm-hmm. things that have happened in our own lives, in our own cases here with the supernatural. The book of Enoch should have totally been canonized, included uh, into the Old Testament, but uh, for whatever reason was, was taken but- out. Well, it's perfect. I can tell you why. It's because, I mean, and you know the reason why that it wasn't there is because of self-empowerment. It gives them power to the individual. It starts to really, I mean, if you look at the rest of the Bible, it basically tells you that you need to go through an entity to have salvation, be it Jesus, be it the Catholic Church. I mean, it sets that up, you know, to be that way. And Enoch kind of lets you know that that book of Enoch gives you so much more information about the big picture of things. And I think that what it is, and a lot of these books are removed because of empowerment of the individual. That's the one thing that our society doesn't want the individual to be empowered on any means. It's the most dangerous thing <laughs> is empowerment to the individual. Right. Information. Information's power. But, but you're in control of your own soul. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, um, the other thing, too, I would mention, folks, is that uh, there's so many fractured 
family units. You see it as a kind of a Western value right now to be so fiercely independent that uh, you're devoid of your sisters and your brothers and your family. Everyone comes through a, a divorce background. I would say pay attention to healing those wounds right now because you're going to need family in a way that um, yes. the small little squabbles that you had uh, will seem so small. Get on it now. Pick up the phone and, and call somebody that yeah. you haven't talked to in a long time and just heal that wound because you guys are going to need one another no matter how different you are as far as your values are concerned yeah. or religion, all of that. Look past that right now. Look at family yeah. as a first aid kit. And um, that would be my plea to you to do that. And, you know, there's probably areas in my own life where I I should do that. Well, sure. You know, you look at that, that was, that has been a major part of what's occurred over this uh, in this whole demise that we're coming up to, I guess you could say is destruction of the family model. I mean, I don't think you could argue with that. That's been all of what America is about. Our whole culture is about destroying the family model. It seems like mitigation of consequence, uh, you know, and you look at it like what God is, what gets humanity through the rough times, these family core units, the strength of that, not individualism, not being out on your own, being part of a group. What, when, when the depression came around the last time in the 1930s, families moved together. That's how they survived this. Three, four or five families moved into one house. You know, they lived under one roof. They all uh, went out and got resources, put all those resources together to, to make the unit as strong as possible as a group. Um, and that mostly was related to blood families. I'm sure it was happening with just families individually getting together and doing it too, because you're much stronger as a group than you are on your own. And everything that society seems to have done over the last 30, 40 years is to try to break us up out of those groups Mm-hmm. And to make and to give us the impression that we're independent, but really we're not. We're more dependent, you know, on a bigger entity, a bigger controlling entity, because we have lost that strength together. We're warring with each other instead of using each other to help each other. Right. We're that's warring a, with each other. We're all pissed off at each other. Right. And that's somebody's victory right now because of uh, where we yep. are in the West right now. Somebody has to be applauding the fact that we're more fractured. But this idea that we've romanticized uh, rugged individualism to a degree right now where people are you know, living in 3,000 square foot houses all alone. <laughs> it wasn't designed yeah. for for that and it's not sustainable to a degree nope. that uh i mean you have the choice of course to to do whatever you want here but i'm i'm just pleading with people that saying hey you know think think larger than that um this is going to you're going to need that kind of cohesiveness you're going to need each other mhm you're going to need it. I mean, I mean, you've been hearing it on just the mainstream financial news. Like I listen to talk radio, Cairo 710, which is our local station here on the weekend sometimes. And, and they always have on Saturdays, usually a financial guy. And his whole topic last week was that, you know, the whole model in America is going to change. It was already gonna, even before this virus, but this is just pushing it faster. And in the future, you're going to see, you know, family units coming together again, like, you know, parents and, and children and their families are going to live in the same houses. Like the grandparents and the parents and the kids are all going to be together in one house again, because that's the only way everybody's going to make it. One of the grandparents is probably going to have a part-time job. One of the grandparents is going to help childcare and cook meals and everybody's going to play a part in it. And I think that's just mm-hmm. the way the future is going to be. 
it's just going to be that way. I mean, you're seeing it right now. I mean, I'm building my daughter a little house on my property because I mean, she's 19 years old and, and, uh, people in her age group, she, her boyfriend and, and is a good example. He has very, I mean, he doesn't have guidance in that way. Uh, he doesn't know anything. They're scared shitless if they're in that group. Either they're rich and their parents are paying for them to go to a four-year school so they can put off life for four more years, or they don't know what the hell to do. Some of them are going in the military because there's no opportunity. It's like when I got out of high school in 1995, I, I tell people this all the time, in, in America in 1995, you knew that anything you wanted to do, if you wanted to put the effort into it, if you wanted to go through what it took to do it, you had the opportunity, you could do it. If you wanted to be rich, you could be rich. If you wanted to do this, you could do this. If you want to do that, you could do that. It, it didn't matter what it was. You could do it. It was available to you. didn't matter what your demographic was or what part of the country you were from. If you wanted it bad enough, you could get it. And now it's not that case. Now it's very limited. I mean, home ownership is a pipe dream for most people, I think, coming up that are 19, 20 years old now everything's changing so fast and we're getting to the end of an era. We're ending the industrial age right now. And, and everything is changing. We've been living fat and high and fat. Like everybody in America today lives better than royalty did 200 years ago. And I think you have to consider that, that we're used to that. And we're at the end of that era now. And young people really don't know what the hell to do. There, you got to realize is that in Washington State right now, if you're a young 19, 20 year old person, it's almost inconceivable to think that you're going to be able to go from 18, 19, go get yourself a job, get yourself an apartment, get yourself a car, get yourself car insurance, be able to put food on the table. How the hell are you going to do that on any amount of wage that's available to you at that age? It's not possible. Yeah, definitely not in one of the coastal towns. It's 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 impossible to live alone on a minimum wage job downtown or anywhere near one of the major cities on the West coast. It's, it's just not conceivable. You could do it uh, to a degree with maybe one or two other people, but you'd be stretching it. So you, you have to move outside of this grid, the Pacific Northwest and the East coast, any of these coastal towns are going to be hit the hardest first. Yeah. They're, Oh yeah. Well, I mean, here's a good example. I mean, I give this example in, uh, in, uh, ni- in 2000, well, 1998, uh, I was a cop in La Push. You know, I worked there until almost 2003. Uh, I made 18 bucks an hour. Um, my rent was 320 bucks a month. I rented a duplex town. I had a $281 a month car payment. I paid car insurance. I had massive amounts of money then making that much money, you know, the fact of the matter is, is now wages haven't gone all up that much since then. <laughs> and, uh, but I can tell you that there's the same ex- expenses that I would have in the same place would mm-hmm. be about 10 times that much, but my wage would probably only be about two bucks more an hour. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I'm, it, it would be impossible. Eight, 18 bucks an hour is considered a, a higher wage, believe it or not. Um, you know, especially the first five years of, of something like that. I don't even know how much a teacher would make, but I would imagine a teacher doesn't make a whole lot more than 20 bucks an hour, um, you know, especially those first maybe five not, years. Maybe not. But yeah, no, wages are... That may be not true. Well... No, it's just, it's unaffordable for young people. It's unaffordable. I mean, I, I don't know what the people come and... It's just looking at things. I mean, they can't even conceive. I build, that's what I do for a living is we... Um, I do construction on houses like uh, dirt work and stuff like that. I work for a guy 
one of my jobs anyways. And uh, the houses we're building, like in Port, we live in the Port Townsend area in Jefferson County. I don't know that we built a house in the last three years that was under $700,000. And these are like not big houses. These are normal houses that normal families would live in, like like uh, a couple of kids. These are like a couple thousand you know, square feet at the most. Not super fancy, but it just costs that much money. Right. And people are willing to pay it. Some people coming over here with cash, uh, you know, buying houses with cash, uh, which is no big deal for somebody working at what, one of these dot-com companies out of uh, Seattle and coming over here because they want to get outside of the grid and uh, commute in and out of the grid. And I understand that. But um, at the same time, it it's going to turn this place into a grid and everyone's having to move farther out. And maybe after everything we discussed, it's not such a bad idea to get yourself outside of the grid. And, um, you know, that may take a little bit of extra planning and moving in with uh, people that you may not necessarily have the same worldview with, but um, maybe things should look a little bit more like a commune. <laughs> you know, there's there's a, uh, oh, a strength in a community. I think that's where it's kind of headed, maybe. I mean, I don't see how. I mean, we're going to have, I mean, we didn't even really touch much on the shortage thing, which is coming, and that is going to be a huge catastrophe when it hits us. But we're not ready for it. I mean, I don't think we realize how much of our stuff is made overseas the consumable goods, not food so much, but, you know, other things. And uh, think about toilet paper, for instance. That's a huge inconvenience if you have to go without toilet paper for a while. <laughs> yeah, I've been not, thinking about toilet paper I mean, quite really. a bit. It's hard to come by. <laughs> it's actually very well, difficult it to right come now, by. It could be. Well, no, it actually is. It's, really? It's a, yeah, I mean, they have a five-roll, uh, five-family or five-rolls-per-family deal going on. Uh, on and or near uh, some of the grocery stores out here, the lines around the Costco are, uh, you know, something to behold. It looks like they're getting ready to go into an amusement park and there's safety tape uh, in Costco. So you don't hoard all the toilet paper or, uh, um, you know, dish paper and things like that. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a thing out here where you got to think ahead. Well, think about this. That This is just the beginning of this now. I mean, trucks are still transporting stuff around this country, and maybe that won't stop. But, uh, you know, it just seems to me that this thing is going to get way bigger. We're just barely getting into the beginning of it now, and it's I don't think that we're ready to handle it. I don't think that anybody – I think I think a lot of people are in kind of denial because they don't want to accept the reality of it. The thing is, is you got to realize it's hard that anybody can, can afford to miss a week of work. They can't afford it. I mean, hardly anybody can afford to not work for a week. So, I mean, everybody's going to be pushing mm -hmm. it to the edge. If they physically can, they're going to do it. They're going to go. So it's going to spread as much as it possibly can here, I think. I mean, I, I don't see any other alternative. What, what do you think? I mean, the way our society works, the fact that everybody's broke, mm -hmm. nobody's got any money, everybody's got well, bills. Well, luckily, Rich, we can, all work. we can do it remotely, and that's been the answer for Amazon. Some people can. Yeah, some people can, but when it comes to transportation jobs, uh, those kind of things, obviously, unless you have an uh, AI in place, which is going to take a too long to implement. But as far as uh, working remotely, that's more of an answer now. I know at least five families that are all working remotely, um, but I'm not. I, I had, uh, you know, I was going to downtown uh, at least three days a week 
And uh, so I haven't been back to work in, in over a week just to kind of see what's going on. And these are scary times where you have to either have a stockpiled savings account, cut back on, you know, how you're doing normal things like how much are you actually eating a day? In my case, way too much. So for me to cut back, not a big deal. But, um, you know, these are things that yeah. we never really thought of before. And now you you have to consider them. No. So, yeah, we have no garden. We're all on demand, really, with money and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't I had I've had a garden over the last couple of years because, you know, here and there but I never have time to to keep up on it and really put as much effort in because I've always been thinking that it's going to be an important thing, but, but yeah, I mean, people aren't prepared. And I do think, I think the mental preparedness is where people, it's going to hurt people really bad. You know, I went through an event, you know, with the Bigfoot thing with Harstein Island. And then when I was a whistleblower where during that period of time, my, my whole belief system was torn out of me, smashed into pieces and then thrown back in a big, you know, like a, a puzzle broken apart into me and I had to rebuild the whole thing. And I'll tell you that, you know, when, when you, you know, like me, I dedicated my life to public service. And then I found out that there was this massive issue with corruption and, and, uh, and that uh, I couldn't feel really good about what I was doing anymore because the picture was so big. It was such a broad thing. And, and I couldn't even really tell people about it because nobody would believe it anyways. And, and even just with me and myself, I mean, literally it took me three years I would say total to from point from beginning to end where I got to a point where I could, you know, really accept and deal with everything. And and, and I went through a change in my life and then, then I was totally functional on the other end of it. I mean, I functioned through the whole thing, but the whole world wasn't collapsing around me when this was happening either. Everything was stable. It was just me that had to become stable again because of, I learned so many new things and everything I thought was fake or everything I thought wasn't right. So I had to make, I had to rebuild myself. We're going to go through a time where, when this economic system goes down, because it's going to, that most of all society is going to go through a belief system, destroying and rebuilding period of time. What you need to realize is that, do they have the time and support around them to get through this? This is a serious thing. When you, it, it, it's not, it's a functioning, you have to realize it's hard to function when you are going through this type of altering event where everything you believed and thought you found out was wrong. All that trust you put into everything you found out was somebody was taking advantage of you and it wasn't really in your best interests. And I think that's the kind of event that we're coming up on here is that people are going to wake up. It's going to be a big wake up. And I think honestly, a lot of people aren't going to be able to handle it because they're not going to be ready. And, and that exists with the quickening and everything else. And it, But it's all part of the same big picture. I think it's all coming to a head at the same time because it's time. There's a clock and it's getting to be time and we're getting closer and closer to it. And this is all a symptom of it. You know, this virus, economy, situation, the, the Bigfoot, the... Uh, you know, the, the soft disclosure and the hard disclosure that's happening now. And uh, what is the intent of of the people that are kind of pulling the strings on this thing? And maybe God's playing a role because he is the one with the stopwatch, you know, and there's just people that are aware kind of what's kind of happening and they're playing it till the end. Uh, I, I mean, it's just, this is going to be a belief system destroying time for a lot of people, I think. And, uh, 
we're so which, right which in, the, stuff. which in the long term may be a good thing in the short term it will cause yep. panic and fear and ptsd and uh you know people that aren't mentally strong will collapse underneath the weight of this paradigm shift but in the end there will be this uh healthy transformation after the tilling of the soil and for anybody that's not aware um of rich and his story you um you can come and hear his bigfoot story uh, we've talked a little bit about sasquatch and how that may fit into understanding these paradigm shifts um rich has certainly been profoundly affected by his own encounters with the subject matter but uh i might as well mention that on july 25th it will probably be an all-day event. We're not quite sure of the time, but in Port Townsend, if everything goes smoothly and this virus blows over the peninsula on July 25th um, at the Manresa Castle, something that we call Secrets of the Sasquatch, Rich will be there, uh, Sonia Zohar, and uh, my contributor from uh, Strange Brow Radio, Alex Whitcomb, is coming down from Quadra Island in Canada. He's going to spend the better part of a week here and see some of the sites and is also going to be uh, speaking as well about his own paradigm shift because he's got some pretty incredible stories. So that's that's coming up on July 25th at the Manresa Castle in Port Townsend, Washington, probably about a month and a half beforehand. We'll, we'll add something as far as uh, how this will be structured and then I'll promote it as such. But um, I wanted to get that out there in case anybody uh, listening wasn't quite sure uh, of Rich's whole story, but I think most people are. I mean, your YouTube clip about your Sasquatch sighting has, what, close to a half a million views at this point? It's getting it's getting pretty close. And then the, the uh, Lonesome Creek one, which was the one that happened in the push when I was a cop there, that one hasn't really taken off yet. But yeah, I mean, a lot of people like the story. It's a good story. It's intriguing, I think, and it's a good, it's true. I mean, so it's, I think that there's a lot of people that have parallel uh, experiences. I mean, I know that because I I can't believe the hundreds and hundreds of people that have just in the comment section of that video that just spill their beans in there and tell these crazy stories of the stuff that's happened to them that's similar to what happened to me. So, I mean, it's been a great thing for that because, I mean, it's connected people together people that have stories similar to mine and there's other stories that are like mine that are on YouTube and that are out there and stuff. And it's just, it's been giving these people a support system because I mean, like with me, I, I, when I, when this, all this stuff first happened to me, uh, I had a lot of problems even with my own group. I was in the Olympic project and nobody really wanted to talk to me about it. I couldn't tell them about my story because they didn't want to hear it, you know, and uh, I don't, I understand their position on that. You know, I, I was brand new to me too. Um, when I was having this weird stuff occur to me, but, but they weren't really open to it. And, and, uh, at that time and they, you know, they didn't want to hear about it. And, and, uh, frankly, I, I hadn't, I didn't have anybody that I could talk to about it cause I didn't know where to go. You know, I, 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 I called everybody that I knew in the Bigfoot world, you know, mostly the same day that I had my first in, in freaky encounter out there. And then everything subsequently that occurred. And I talked to many, many people and nobody else that I was in my, my, my pool of uh, influence had ever had similar experiences like that. Uh, Scott, Scott Carpenter a little bit, but I didn't really start talking to him until after all that stuff. And um, 
you know, it, uh, I didn't have any support system or any group of people. And I think now it's evolved so much because people like me have put their story out there and, and there's so many other stories. And, and then as many people as I'm seeing that have come to me, this is a serious thing. I mean, there's gotta be tens of thousands of people just in the United States alone that have had similar experiences that I did that probably are, you know, many of them never tell anybody because, and, and, and it's causing them stress throughout their lives because they have never been able to really discuss it. I mean, where do you go? Like with my instance, you know, that occurred with me, where, where do you go to a clinical psychologist and, and go talk to them about what, what your Bigfoot encounter was like and that, um, you know, you're being visited in your dreams by uh, these things, you know, they're telling. Did we lose you? Rich? Well, hold on here, folks. I think uh, Rich's line got uh, messed around. Let me see if I can reconnect him. He's on a satellite phone. Hopefully he's not lost. Rich, can you hear me? Yeah, I hear you. Okay. Something happened with your line there. I heard a bang and then you disappeared. You Finish your thought. You were no, saying I was that... Uh, yeah, finish your thought. Okay, well, I don't know where I was at. I kind of went away. <laughs> That's all right. We were we were just ending uh, uh, the interview here on a, on a Sasquatch note, and you were talking about where do you go as far as a clinical psychologist, and oh, those yeah. Cho- yeah, those choices are far and in between, especially back in the the nineties. But now it seems as though this, um, you know, to, to use uh, Ron Moorhead's lingo, the quantum theory, which I think is now the PC version of saying the woo crowd um, has, has come to fruition. And, you know, maybe all of these things are kind of interconnected. I mean, the world is looking into, uh, if you look at where the world is now, it's kind of in the modern day spiritualist movement of the 1900s, where people are, a lot of the shows on TV are geared towards uh, especially in the evening, some kind of supernatural encounter one way or another. And really what you were describing is a highly you know, paranormal, supernaturally charged encounter with uh, some kind of entity, be it a Sasquatch or, or not. Um, but you can look other places today as where before you, you could not. I mean, for example, this show and all mm-hmm. the other numerous podcasts out there. But, um, you know, I always steer people towards the likes of uh, Tom Powell and Henry Franzoni, uh, who are really the forefathers of of this conversation, but, you know, they stood on the shoulders of other people. But now you're one of these people, like the Rons of the world and the the Tom Powells of the world and the Henry Franzonis that people are going to. So are you, um, you've, you've put your foot back in this world in a way that's very noticeable. Are you going to do anything in the future with that as far as write a book or what are you, what are you doing rich privately uh, to talk more about Sasquatch? I do want to write a book someday, but I, I'm not ready to do it yet. And um, I just, I'm too busy really. And, and uh, I don't know. It, um, I keep, to be honest with you, I don't want to be involved in this thing that much. It just, I don't, I really feel like I have a choice. I just keep getting drug in. There's other things I want to do with my life uh, outside of this that, that that I feel like that are more important kind of in a way, but regardless of that, I feel like this is probably pretty important because regardless of what I think I want to do, I just keep getting forced back into this thing where it's just, uh, you know, in one way or another. Um, and I, and it's like, it's just 
maybe it's my job, you know, in a way to, to, uh, to help be an advocate, help tell the story like you are, you know, you're telling the story, Ron is, all these people are. And I think that we're just pushing this thing because at some point the truth about this is going to have to get disclosed. And, um, I think if we stay on it, especially, you know, people that are compelling, that have credible, you know, stories, eyewitness accounts predominantly related to these strange occurrences and events, you know, it can't be denied forever. You know, you know, it's only being accepted within these groups now of people and it's starting to branch out and push out into main, the main part of society where people like me are getting seen through YouTube now. And I get to tell my story and sit there and talk about it, you know, in this, where people can look at it, listen and make a determination on, on me and what they think about it. And and I can tell you that, that based on my testimony alone in that Harstein Island is on YouTube that I, I can tell you that there's probably, you know, tens, if not a, a hundred cases of people that got on there and said, you know, I was skeptical about this before, but just because of this testimony and this guy and how he's telling this and stuff like that, how can you debate that? I mean, uh, how can you, he had this real experience, you know, and he's telling you straight up what happened. And this has helped them, you know, concrete it more in their mind that there is something else going on. They don't have all the answers, but they know that there is something else out there. There's something going on and, and people, other people have had experiences, you know, right. that were originally thought to just not be a real thing. Well, and you being a law enforcement and law enforcement at the time, I'm, I'm sure it helped. And you're not the only one in law enforcement that has had a, you know, some kind of supernatural encounter with a Sasquatch. Yeah. And uh, there's other people out there that have made their voices known to me. One of these people um, I'll be talking about um, at the Oregon Ghost Conference and that has already done an episode with the Sci-Fi Channel some years back was a deputy officer named Jeff Boiler, who's on the record about his uh, South Sister encounter in Oregon. And um, one of the more incredible details that I'm sure you'll appreciate, Rich, was when Jeff Boiler did his retelling for the Sci-Fi Channel. He ran into a Sasquatch on top of the ridge, which at first he thought was uh, the back end of an elk until he saw the thing had head and shoulders standing looking at him. And he said that this thing, according to the recreation, copied his moves. Um, Jeff dropped his jaw and cocked his head to the side in disbelief at what he was looking at. This thing dropped its jaw and cocked its head to the side. But what was incredible is a law enforcement officer, as he goes, I had to tell him that the thing only copied me, but he goes, as someone, you know, who has to have an idea of what a suspect's going to do before he's going to do it, this thing wasn't copying me. It was mocking me. It was making fun of me. And I could tell yeah. by the facial features that this thing was like, no shit, dumbass. I've been here following you the whole time. And he goes, that's what really unnerved me is that this thing had this humanity uh, about it that was uncanny. And um, so that, those kind of... Had a sense of humor. Yeah, 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 absolutely. And that's one thing you kind of learn really quick is that these things sometimes have a rather sick sense of humor and involve dead things. But um, yeah, it's a it's an incredible experience, and um, you can find out more about that coming up again on uh, July 25th. I, I don't want to plug it uh, too much, but at the same time, because it's so far out, but uh, I'll get back to plugging it. Hey, man, I appreciate you coming on and um, 
if I don't see you rather soon, uh, we need to talk about all things Al Moon knees and uh, get to the bottom of what's going on to, you know, as far as these impressions that we pulled out in 2018, which um, trying to finish this book, it's a man, writing a book is a big, is a big thing to do because it, it calls on so many other eyeballs other than your own. And uh, it's just taking me longer to write this book, but um, we're ending it uh, with uh, trying to understand what these knee impressions are and getting to the bottom of a few things. And we're, we're one step closer. So uh, Rich will be a part of that process, hopefully uh, soon. But I know you got to go. I got to go. And um, I appreciate you coming on and talk about something unexpected and important, dude. Okay. Sounds good. I had a great time. <laughs> All right, man. We'll talk to you later. See you, Rich. Bye. Okay, so you have the information. Now what are you going to do with it? Do nothing with it. As far as I'm concerned, information is yours to do, as usual, with this podcast and all the others out there, to do with what you please. Much ado about nothing or something in between. I think it's kind of, if I were to come up with my own line of defenses, I feel very strange about this one. I feel strange about where we are uh, as a society in combination with this. And um, I think we kind of allude to that now as far as where we, we went in other directions, as far as prophecies concerned. Hey, much of you are going to tune out to that one entirely. I gotcha. Maybe you should. But um, I don't know. Check your head. See how you actually feel about this one. Okay. Let's go someplace else. Again, if you want to be a part of something tonight outside of this virus-infected world, you can do that at um, zoom.com. Go to Strangebrow Radio Facebook page. There's a link there in the events tab. You can type in uh, Podcast Alive, I believe, in Facebook and find the events tab for March 7th. Or you can go to my public profile at Tobe Johnson, T-O-B-E Johnson, and there is an update on the Facebook page there. I'll try to get it at Strange browradio.com as well however grab a pen write this down and rewind it https colon forward slash forward slash zoom dot us forward slash j forward slash four one two seven zero two seven three two four now type that up in your search engine and that'll take you right to the link to come into the room and be a part of the show and uh, there you will be hyperlinked away. You may have to download zoom.com, which is a good program for you to have already. I wish they were sponsors. Uh, you can definitely check them out at zoom.com. And again, rewind the link, and there you will find uh, this virtual meeting. Tonight we're discussing portal interaction, um, what we're calling um, long-term witnesses or extended experiencers, uh, paranormal phenomena, and also looking into evidence collection, which is more in this case, uh, chronicling some kind of strange photo album <laughs> of uh, an extended uh, bizarre family that I'm slowly adopting into my own life. Um, and I'll get into what all the heck that means. You'll have to tune in tonight. I'm not quite sure if we're going to save this, preserve this or not. And we only have room for 100 people to join us. So if you like what uh, has been spoken about regarding the Al Moon 
You can find more of that tonight from 6 to 9 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on Zoom.com. And I gave you the three ways to get a hold of this. And um, they're going to be new audio, new videos uh, that have never been shown or seen before tonight. So 6 to 9, check that out. Full presentation. It should be um, fully immersive and ready to go. So um, it kind of just fell in my lap that way, and that's what we're doing. So check it out from 6 to 9 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And then again in March 2nd from 6 to 9 as scheduled before, Marcia K. Moore will be back in the saddle, hopefully at Manresa Castle, ready to go and talk about the elongated skulls, or she calls them the longheads, and you find more about her at CMR Studios. Okay, that's it. Guess what? I will see you in the trees. Mm-hmm.